0: mm from Shameless Plug, North Carolina, where today I have zero cares about being uncomfortable because I'm helping my very special guest and friend raise funds for his foundation. This is the Chris Williams Podcast Hour. Listeners, I'm going to ask you, no, 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 I'm begging you to get out your checkbooks to contribute to a fund that directly helps the women and men on the front lines, the first responders, and the future first responders. Nurses need your help. I'm your host, Chris Williams, and I do need your dollars, dollars. Your dollars are what I need. I'm going to share some stories with you, and you're going to give us what we need. That's donations for the Love a Nurse Run. The Love a Nurse Run is virtual this year so you don't have to be in Cleveland to participate and you can even compete against me in either a 5K or a 1 mile and I'll even let you choose your course and you can choose whether it's a walk, run or a crawl. For more details email loveanurserun@gmail.com, at gmail.com or visit the Love a Nurse Run Facebook page. If you don't If you can't do that, then just Google Love a Nurse Run and look up the event which takes place between September 27th and October 4th. Folks, I need you. My next guest needs you. And the cause is so worthy. Don't take my word for it. My guest coach Dan Flaherty can explain it even better than I can. I'm counting on you. And thank you to all the wonderful nurses. This is the Chris Williams Podcast Hour.
1: show number three, and it's a special show, well, every show is special, this one is extra extra special for me, because joining me today on the Chris Williams Podcast Hour is my coach, my idol, a man who means so much to me and my family, and many others, the former head coach of the Big Green Machine at St. Edward's High School in Lakewood, Ohio, and future St. Ed's Hall of Famer, Coach Dan Flaherty.
2: Coach Flaherty, Hi. how are you doing, Chris? Good, good. All right, before we get started, can I ask you one question? Yes, sir. Play any rap music before this or not? No. No. I was, no I was hoping you. I was hoping you could run DMC in there so instead of newer <laughs> stuff that you have. That's okay. That's all
1: right. All right. Well, before we get started, my sisters Kristen Kelly—they're upset because they can't get on the podcast. They actually I wouldn't let them. They wanted to come on and sing your praises and tell everyone how much they love you. Also, well, they told me I better do it. Thank you, thank you, and they told me I better do a great job of sharing your story. So no pressure, as you say, none at all. All right, welcome to the Chris Williams Podcast Hour. Thank you, sir. (laughs) All right, so let's start this by talking about you grew up in on the east side of Cleveland.
2: I did. Um, the The city was called East Cleveland. Still there today. Uh, it's the first suburb, basically, right outside of Cleveland. The west side is Lakewood, and the east side is, is uh, East Cleveland. And uh, it was a, it was a good city to grow up in. It was a lot of hardworking people. There were a lot of like double homes and apartments and that, and a lot of a lot of kids around. So it was a, it was a good upbringing for me. Um, we didn 't have a lot of money, but a lot of, not many people did back then so uh, but we always kind of felt love and respected um, had a dad who was kind of ahead of his time and graduated from John Carroll in one thousand nine hundred and twenty nine with a business degree and I remember looking at uh, the John Carroll newspaper of all the graduates, there were only about 15 or 18 guys guys and some women that graduated at that time, so that was unusual uh, for, to, get, to have a college degree back then, he was a very intelligent, they used to call him 4A Flaherty actually, so very intelligent <laughs> guy, and I uh, wound up selling insurance, and uh, my mother, who worked uh, b- before they got married was his secretary and we lived with, together with uh, my grandparents in a double home in east cleveland so uh, again a lot of kids around went to a school called st philomena which is <clears throat> excuse me still there um but, uh, my brother from this very young age wanted to be a priest so uh, that way he, he, pe- people kind of like that back then in a the catholic family and uh you know the, when i got out of grade school. uh, There were basically three high schools to go to. um, Cathedral Latin, St. Joseph, and Ignatius. Uh, Ignatius was kind of far, you know, on the west side, so that that one was kind of out. It was Joe's and Latin, and Joe's had, was very big. They had, when my class was going to high school, they had 700 freshmen at one time, so Cathedral Latin was the school that I chose. There were about 350 kids, and uh, it was a, again a good school. People from the West Side, East Side, South Side, everywhere. So that, that was that was basic my up, upbringing up until up until the high school years.
1: Okay. Now Cathedral Latin. It was rich in tradition. So, what was that like, and who were some of the top athletes when you were there?
2: Well, I, you know there were a, there were a lot of them. Um, they weren't quite as there was a, if you look at the Division One people today uh there there were a few names that popped up but uh, um the, the main one at at the time that I was there was Clinton Jones. Clinton Jones was a junior when I was a freshman. Uh he was a, he won the state in the hurdles. He was the second pick in the NFL draft. Uh played in the Michigan State Notre Dame game of the century in 1966 and was and played with the Minnesota Vikings. He was probably the best one. There were a number of other athletes over the years that were very good. Um, Brian Dowling from Ignatius was one that, that kind of st- uh, you know st- stood out in that area. Ignatius was very strong, but we had you know we had uh, um, the mcdonald 's we had Tabazinskis, we had guys that won you know, wanted to play in, in schools that won Division one, but also you know were, were very good athletes at the time i also th- I was also thinking about the people that we played against um, I remember we had a, a basketball game against Glenville in the gym. <laughs> And uh, this was back in the 60s. I mean, they lined up and they, they had seven guys in a row that could dunk. And I thought,
1: geez, <laughs> you, know, you
2: know, back then, that uh, was like one guy could dunk and they had seven in a row. Like, I don't know, seven in a row. So um, they, was, they were good athletes back then. I, I went to school with some really good guys who were successful. Um, Jim Lomas, my, my best man of my wedding, wound up uh, going to Vietnam and winning a Silver Star in Vietnam. As Pulled five guys out of a crossfire, didn't even know who they were. Uh, Silver Star was one of the, um, it's, it's, I think it's the second, second um, biggest medal in the country beyond the Congressional Medal of Honor. Uh, another good friend, Dr. Tim Kinsella, is a teacher at Ursuline College to this day, and Miles Roach, another good friend at Cathedral Latin, was the, um, the uh, school psychologist for independent school system for 30 years. So it was, it, we had good times. They were, they were great guys, and we had a great, a great time for sure. Um, One memory, though, I remember going uh, back in the 60s, there was a charity game. They played it every Thanksgiving. It was the east side and the west side, and Cathedral Latin had won 12 in a row, I think. And they wanted to play in holy name, and they got beat by uh, holy name with a guy named Frank Solich, who I'm sure you're familiar with. (laughs) Coach Solich, yes. Coach Solich (laughs) from Nebraska, and um, now he's at, at OU, and he's still coaching. So those were the good times back then, for sure.
1: Nice, nice. So you go from Cathedral Latin to Kent State. So uh, w- what was your degree in, and how was it You know, at Kent State at that time when you were there?
2: Well, I, start, I started John Carroll. I went there for two years because my dad graduated from there, and my brother, who went to the seminary for three years, then went to John Carroll for one. So it was kind of a natural for me to go there. Um, I wanted to be a social worker at the time, and then I got involved in coaching in grade school. So the social worker thing didn't quite fit that so I transferred to Kent State to get a degree in phys ed But um, it would have taken me three years and I didn't, I didn't want to be there more than You know the four that I had planned on so I, I Majored <laughs> in sociology and psychology got a degree in those two and then uh, Kent State was a very good school I enjoyed Kent State very down-to-earth people uh, I graduated in 69 from there and I, I'm sure everybody remembers in 1970 they had that tragedy there where there were uh, the National Guard came in, and so four people got killed uh, during demonstrations, and it was sad. It was kind of getting a little bit um, political, maybe my my last year, but uh, this was a tragedy there. But the school was a great school, and I have many great feelings about Kent State.
1: Okay. And not to get into politics, but was it more political than, it, than today?
2: Back then, I, I think – uh, the Vietnam thing got a lot of people upset, so I think there, there were a lot, of, a lot of, it wasn't so much uh, the, the politics of like Democrats, Republicans. It was just that people were anti-war and, and didn't want it. And, you know, they certainly all had a right they were a right to, 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 uh, to protest at that time because it was a, you know, people wondered whether it was worth the effort or not. But um, it, it was political from that respect, but it wasn't like it is quite like it is today, no.
1: Yeah. Okay, okay. All right. So you graduate from Kent State. How did you get into coaching?
2: Well, uh, I wanted to, like I said, I started coaching at St. Philomena when I was in high school because I wasn't good enough to play on the high school team. So I started coaching there with my brother and another guy, Miles Roach. So I had that that little coaching under my belt. And then, you know, you just went in and at the time you you sent your applications in and I heard from the school, St. Edward High School in Lakewood, I didn't even know where Lakewood was. And I didn't, <laughs> I didn't know much about St. Edward, I thought it was another... The state somewhere, but anyway, I took a ride over there, um, I sent apps all over the place, but St. Ed's needed a history teacher, and I had some history background, and they needed somebody with some coaching for a freshman, so I uh, interviewed, the principal said, you're, you're good, good to go, and I interviewed and got the job, and then started out with a guy named Fred Ost as a freshman coach for three years. Um, he was the oh, first wow. person, yeah, he was the first person I coached under, he was from Revere, and a very successful, fatherly kind guy, easy to get, a, get along with. And we got along very well. In his three years at St. Ed's, he was 24 and 6. So he's the guy that basically got me started. And um, that was how I got, you know, I got the job over there.
1: Okay. And then you, you follow, our, you know, Danny Marson, uh, late Danny Marson, good guy, and then Mike Currents. And what was it like, you know, following them? Because yeah. I mean they really successful. So what was it like following them? And then when you're offered the job, so how difficult is it a, a decision to take a job after those three legends, yeah.
2: basically? Well, well, the the, the records of those the, the, those two or I mean those three people were Denny was 17-2-1 in two, and and two years at St. Ed's. Um, he He took me under his wing he, he I learned more from him about football than anybody before or since, and he was a, he was a mentor to me. Uh, he took me under his wing. I was not married at the time I was living in the Lakewood by myself. He would have me over for dinner every Thursday night uh, before the games, and then we'd go over some of the game plans and things like that because he promoted me up to the varsity um, sometimes they 'll just to get get off track a little bit sometimes the, the coaching as you know Chris, takes a lot of time and effort and sacrifice and things like that and uh sometimes you just get so wrapped up and you forget about other things i remember sitting at denny Marson's table for dinner one time is at the end of the table at the end of dinner his wife walked in with a cupcake with a uh a candle on top of it and lit it and said happy birthday to me <laughs> so oh denny had, wow denny had forgotten <laughs> it was his had forgotten it was his wife's birthday, so I thought um, I think I have to go home here. I'll let you guys work this one out. But it's just the way of the the coaching the coaching world. You just get so wrapped up in stuff, and then you just forget about certain things. But then he did, was really good to me, and uh, he was my mentor for sure. He was he, I learned a lot from him. He was a, a tough guy, but he, he you know he was very compassionate, and um, he it was, he had four kids, and uh, I, I think he was looking to move on because he. You know, he had higher expectations of moving to college. He he went to Miami, coached at Miami University with Dick Crum. And after that, Crum got the job at North Carolina, and then he followed him there. Um, He said he he stayed there for 10 years, and then he went to Illinois and coached there for about seven. And then he uh, he figured he was finished with college, and he got a job with the New York Giants, coached with Giants for seven years and was in the Super Bowl. And he coached the New York Jets for three years. After that, before he retired, um, he had the good fortune of coaching probably two of the greatest football players ever, uh, Lawrence Taylor uh, and and Michael Strahan. So those guys uh, were very thought very highly of Denny, and, and uh, he did a great job with them too. He left after two years. Mike Kearn's came in. He was nineteen and one for two years. Uh, lost the state wow. finals, fourteen to twelve. And, uh, again, he was, uh, a, a, did a very good job of this, too. It was at Westlake for a number of years. Then he got the job at Massillon. I think he was the second-leading, um, the second-highest winning percentage at Massillon behind Paul Brown. And uh, he had a great career there. And um, the, the third person I got, I guess I, I have to mention him, too, um, Joe Mackey, who was one of my mentors also at St. Ed's. Um, he was as responsible as any coach for putting St. Ed's on the map. Um, he did, he he was a very active, athletic director, and he um, he he looked around and thought we we could be better than we were, and he said, "I think I got to upgrade the schedule." So he he took out a, t- a team named Steubenville. He signed a team named Steubenville from Ohio, who was very good. Mm-hmm. And we we weren't sure big we red. were in that the big red. We weren't sure we were in that category, but I remember walking with going out of the locker room, and as a policeman was there, and we we were all. The green and gold, and the policeman said, "You guys look like the Green Bay Packers walking out here." And then the <laughs> halftime was the halftime was thirty to nothing, and we were we were walking back in, and he said, "You guys play like the Green Bay Packers."
0: So, oh wow!
2: Yeah, so wow! And then, and, then, and then he he scheduled Warren Western Reserve, who was the number one team in Ohio, and we beat them 56-28 a couple of years later. So he added a lock to the program. Uh, he upgraded all the. Facilities he put billboards around Lakewood saying home of the st. Edward high school home of the big green machine uh, He got many people involved and uh, he, he only stayed there four or five years Then went on to build a fitness club on I mean, the fitness club close to where you used to live and mm-hmm. uh, uh, he, he was always a successful. So I, I never made a decision in my life without ever talking to Joe Mackey, so I appreciate him for sure and so well, you know, I, I Had you know, I paid my dues. I think uh, the job came open again after uh, Currents left. Um, I knew the program. I had some very good mentors, and the principal and AD thought I was ready. That's how I eventually got the job.
1: Okay. Okay. Well, that's interesting. I didn't know uh, Coach Mackey was such a marketing genius. So that is that's that awesome he was. Animation. That he was.
2: And he. The other mm-hmm. thing he could do. He got people work to work. Do everything for free. He'd give them two season tickets, and they'd do anything. They'd clean the they'd clean the place. They'd work on the electric. They'd do the score. They did everything. So, he was wow. he was one of a kind. So, yeah, that is that's great. Good memories. Good memories. All right, yeah.
1: from. So you take the head coaching job from 76 to 83. You go 61, 23, and 2 as the head coach at St. Ed's. Let's -hmm. take a trip down memory lane, talk about some of the memorable plays, players, or even stories that you have from from those years. And You know, 76, you go 9 and 2. What do you remember about that
2: season? Well, can I go back to before that? I got a couple before that. Yes, right. you yes, you okay. can. Okay, when I was an assistant, there, you know the the '73 crew. We had a number of good players. There, Mac, Dave Mac, I went to Columbia. Uh, the the first guy to ever run a four or five at Saint Ed's was Steve Schmitz. Uh, went to Notre Dame, had a trial with the Cleveland Browns, and almost you know made the final cup but didn't make it. So they were they were good. But the best pay person, I believe, on paper and probably in person because he was the number one pick in the country was Tom Cousineau. That was in 19 – graduated in 1974. Um, I remember walking in the office and going to the coach's office and Joe Paterno and Woody Hayes were sitting in there, and the reason they were there was from Tom Cousineau. So, Uh, great player, number one pick in the country by um, Buffalo, played in Canada for three years, then went to – then went to the Browns – played for the Browns for a number of years. And, okay. um, great guy and his, his dad i learned one thing from his dad that I, i've never forgot my whole life he said make sure you spend time with your kids because before you know it they'll be gone and out of the house and he was right time flies as you know too chris time goes really quickly and i always remember that and try to spend as much time as i could although it wasn't <laughs> wasn't always that easy so anyway <laughs> uh, i got the head job in 76 um we were nine and two i believe and mark right the Played Mark Reichert was the best player we had at that time. He had transferred up from Columbus, played for the University of Pittsburgh, played with Hugh Green, uh, played with Tony Dorsett, a very good player also. Mike Graven um, from, uh, played at Baldwin-Wallace, played a national championship game in Division Three. So those are a couple good players there. We were 9-2, and two, but we had graduated so many guys. We, we only I think we scored 76 points all year or something.
0: But we only oh, gave oh, wow. up 30,
2: so we wound up making a play okay. That was good. <laughs> yeah, and then 77, uh, nice. I think Bob Kanda was uh, running back. Greg Shoup at a 93-yard punt return, still a record at the school, even after 40 years. Um, 1978, um, that was the best team that I, I ever coached. Uh, we, we had we had ten legitimate Division One prospects on that team. Uh, seven of them were on offense, three were on defense. We lost one game, 17-14, to Cincinnati Moeller, and uh, we didn't make the playoffs because we only took one team. But that team was loaded. Um, Dennis played at Michigan State. Paul Gergash played at Michigan. And he's still the seventh-leading tackler in Michigan history. And then there was a, another guy on that team for a, a quick story, Mark Giuliano, who – um, was his second-string defensive back, and wound up going to Worc- Worcester and playing at Worcester. Uh, but his story is that he, he eventually wound up being the deputy director of the FBI. He was second yes. in command. Yeah, he was second in command in the FBI from December of 13 to uh, February of 2016, and he came to town and, and uh, gave a talk downtown, and I, I was lucky enough to go listen to him. And uh, I, I thought, you talk about important jobs, the things that he dealt with every day, and the terrorism and things from outside and the inside stuff and all the difficulties he had. Uh, I thought, wow, <laughs> that was quite, a, quite a story. He stayed there for, I think, he was with the FBI for probably about 25, 30 years, but deputy director, he was the guy in charge of the whole FBI basically for four years. So uh, proud of him, you know, what he did, even though he, never, he wasn't a, a star, he was a guy that uh, did a lot for himself and for the country. And then um uh 1980, I think we were 8 and 2 that year. Um the okay. second the second four-five four, four-five we ever had was Kevin Graven played a 87-yard touchdown against Ignatius in the Cleveland stadium. Cleveland yeah. stadium. I remember it, was it. Last high school game ever played at the stadium. And uh like quick, quick quick story on him. He was at the game when in uh, uh, 1987 St. Ed's was in the playoffs, and there was a running back named Chris Williams on that team. <laughs> you remember him? Yeah, he played a little bit. He was okay. <laughs> Graven was at the, Graven was at the game, and he went. To, I heard the story. Went to a bar after, and everybody was raving about Chris Williams, and and Graven said, "Well, I still have the record for the longest, uh, you know, run in St. Ed's history, 87 yards." Five minutes later, some guy walks in the bar and says, you'll never believe what Williams did. He ran 95 <laughs> yards. think <of scrimmage. laughs> <laughs> 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 Graven just dro- dropped his beer on the table, I think. So. <laughs> anyway, he had a good career at Arizona State, too. Um, and then Billy Sam, Bill Hyman, those were guys from that time. Uh, 81, we had some great players, too. John McConville went to Ohio State. Mark Vitko started at 95 pounds as a freshman, wound up being an all-state defensive end. Uh, Bill, wow. Kale was a, Bill Kale was the quarterback. I'm sure most people know his company. His dad's founded a company called Manco Tape, which makes the duct tape, and yes. a very successful career for him. Uh, Kelvin Farmer in 82 was a, uh, our best running back, and he wound up going to the University of Toledo and being um, the second-leading rusher in the country his senior year at Toledo. Mm-hmm. So those are yes. some guys that, I mean, I hate – I don't want to miss anybody, <laughs> but those are some guys that came into mind. Uh, I gave the, the head job up in 84. I, my kids were getting bigger. I wanted to spend some more time with them, and I, became, I still stayed as an assistant, but gave up the head job. And we had a lot of success, as you know, with Al O'Neill. O'Neal. Um, I don't want to <laughs> – your horn, Toot your horn too much, but you were the absolutely the best player during that five-year period. Uh, for the people that don't know, we were in the state finals. We lost uh, by a couple points in the state finals. Chris had 1,400 yards in nine games and had three and a thousand yards and three playoff games which is still a record to this day so a great great guy and a great story I'm just I wanted to get that in because I know you wouldn't say <laughs> thanks coach Flaherty and You're all right welcome.
1: I have to You're throw welcome. I have to throw this out Danny Andrews you heard that from coach Flaherty not from me
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, I got to appreciate bring the that. Andrews brothers in too there were four of them they were all good players Danny Bob Johnny and Mike they're all great players and Danny Danny took a beating, that's for sure. Anybody that played tailback for Al O'Neal took a beating, but he was a great player as well as you guys. Um, yes, Rod, yes. Rodney Bailey and Dewan Gross later on. Uh, Rodney played for the Patriots, played in the Super Bowl. Dewan played for the Rams. So Those are all good guys. Jim McQuaid was a person I worked with for the last ten years I was coaching. When he, when he left St. Ed's, I figured time to get out and spend some more time with the kids and... Do, do some of the other stuff. So that's my coaching okay. career. I'm sorry if I belabored the point and talked too much, but that was it.
1: Not at all. They're great stories. Great
2: stories. Yeah. I appreciate it. So uh,
1: now you, you you touched on it earlier, uh, talking about coaching, and you also you know, were, were a teacher. And I know when I started coaching with you, and Coach McQuaid at St. Ed, I didn't understand the commitment that it took to be a coach. So, I know for those who don't know, talk about the, some of the sacrifices you had to make as a coach and a teacher. And with that, you know, lead us into what a great wife you had and the importance and how she was understand, able to understand pretty much that she had to share you with everyone else.
2: Yeah. Um, you know, I, you mentioned you said something about the sacrifice thing. I, I thought about that, but there's just the, – the, compared to other jobs – I mean, the sacrifices were minimal compared to the other jobs. I think about you know the people in the service, and I had many classmates that went to Vietnam. I, I didn't go. I think they I think they didn't let you know they didn't take take teachers at the time. Um, so that 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 is a sacrifice. There were at least one of our classmates that never made it back, and I know there are a lot of people that didn't make it back, and the ones that did didn't. Weren't, you know the. the it, they weren't always treated the way they should have been treated. Uh, And then today, I mean, there's so many difficult, dangerous jobs today. I I respect the police for having a difficult job. I know some of them make mistakes, but it's just a very difficult job. And um, the firemen and the firewomen and the people that put their lives on the line all the time, and obviously, in my case, the nurses who work very hard and very long and don't get a lot of credit sometimes, so. Uh, I, I don't really cons- I, the only thing I sacrificed was time and uh, the, I loved the job it was a great job for a while, for 30 years but the time the time just the, the only sacrifice really was the time and you had to have you had to have a wife that understood that and uh and I, I absolutely did it just it's just a, a lot that the time thing is a factor and, you know you have to do things with the kids and you have to take care of the home and especially one that worked as well as you know just did all those things, and that—that that was her for sure. Um, she made many sacrifices, but I always say that the co- coaches' wives are the first people in heaven because they do—they have <laughs> three or four jobs. And, uh, they, uh, I, I'm, going back to Denny Marson, I mean, how 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 is he ever home? He I mean he were, He lived in New Jersey and drove to New York every day, and back. He didn't get home till midnight every night for, you know, seven eight years. So. Wow. It's just a wow. lot of stress and strain on the wife and uh are just not a whole lot of off days in coaching, but um it's not sacrifices are not really much compared to what everybody a lot of many, many other people have to put up with.
1: Okay. All right. So you talk about Mrs. Flaherty. her she was a nurse. Uh you often brag about her commitment to the profession and how she never missed a day. So share
2: share her story with us. I'll do that. Um, hers is an easy story to tell. Um, she was a, a very special person, and I, I have to bring in another special person before I go into her. Um, she was a lot of nurses are similar people, and as you know, and I, a lot of the qualities that Alice had, uh, I, I saw in your mom, Lola Williams. Uh, I, I always had a tremendous amount of respect for your mother. She uh, went to the graduated from the University of Pennsylvania, an Ivy League school. At a time when not many women uh, went to Ivy League schools and graduated, and uh, she was the first, I believe, the first African American woman ever to graduate from the University of Pennsylvania Nursing School. Am I, am I right on that? Yeah. Uh, that is correct. I I one of so.
1: two or something like that. So yeah. I remember
2: actually. She I remember you pioneered. showing me the picture, and there were there weren't many there. I know that. <laughs> uh, I'm not telling anything about your mom, but I know. The people listening want to know. She's very extremely intelligent lady could talk about anything, new, new, everything about almost any topic you could bring up. Um, she didn't have a picnic. She it wasn't easy sometimes. She has a great mother and she kind of raised the, you and the, the sisters on her own. And uh, she, I uh, know it wasn't the money was tough, but she, your mother was so independent and she would do anything and she didn't have, never asked anybody for help. She did everything on her own. She's a very proud woman. And I always considered her, uh, you know, when you talk about women, uh, the strength of women, she had it. And I always admired your mother. And we got along. I think she kind of liked me, too. We got along pretty well. She liked you a lot. She (laughs) loved Mr. Flaherty, so thank Uh, you. That she did. Uh, So a lot of Alice's qualities I I certainly saw in in Lola Williams. Uh, But Alice, when she was – she was – born and her mother left when she was two years old so she was she never really had a mother that grew up, didn't really grow up with a mother she uh, wound up being raised by her father and her aunt and her grandmother uh and her and her brother jeff were together um finally after a number of years her, her dad got remarried and uh, she was probably about 13 years old when she moved to parma and lived in a blended family with a stepsister and a stepbrother and a stepmother um she did have she did she learned a lot of things at that time. She was very, she, she wound up being an extremely disciplined person, and I think she got a lot of that from a group she uh, was on called the Rangerettes. The Rangerettes were a drill team up in Brook Park, and her, her good friend Lynn Burst got her involved in the Rangerettes, and I think Alice learned a lot of discipline from being with the Rangerettes, and they were state champs for many years. So I think she learned a lot of discipline from that. And then um, she went to school. She was a nurse's aide, her, her stepmother was, worked at a nursing home, and she was, uh, Alice worked as a nurse's aide at 14 years old, and knew she wanted to become a nurse, so started saving her money at that time. Um, she worked in a nursing home called Villa Serena, which was in Parma. Another okay. <clears throat> typical nursing story, the day we got married, she, had a, she invited a lady from the nursing home. She was working at Mount Alverna, and the lady was sick and couldn't make it so. Immediately after the wedding, we got in the car and <laughs> drove over to Mount Auvernon nursing home and that 's how dedicated she was we We walked in with a wedding dress and a tuxedo on and to see the lady because she couldn't make our wedding so uh, oh so, wow yeah and then so she continued on uh, to school, paid for her own education for one year, and then got a scholarship for last year and the nursing home, so she would work if she would work there. She went to CCC West, graduated from 67 to 69. Uh, so she became an RN at 19 and worked basically in that uh, profession for 42 years. Um, 40 of those years were at uh, Lakewood Hospital, which is a Cleveland Clinic Hospital, and she worked in the ICU. Now, the ICU, as most people know, is not. It's not, not nursing is a tough job to begin with. The ICU is uh, not a walk in the park. That's for sure. Um, mm-hmm. It was very difficult. Most of the people that she worked with, I think the longest people in the ICU or maybe 12, 14 years. She worked there 40 years. Um, wow. She, she did miss. She did miss two days in 42 years. She one was good. Our daughter was sick. Nobody could watch her, so she stayed home. The other one, she. She couldn't walk because she had plantar fasciitis, but those were the two days that she missed in 42 years. She was very, very dedicated <laughs> to the nursing profession. Um, and uh, she also was very concerned about health. Um, her dad had a, a m- big heart attack at 46. Her brother had one and passed away at 48. So she was always concerned about uh, her heart history and worked very hard at exercise and started aerobics. I remember she put her son <clears> on <throat> the bus to go to kindergarten, and she got in the car and drove to an aerobics class for the first time. <laughs> and then she, From from 1978 till, you know, 2013, she exercised very hard to fight off that, you know, that uh, health, the heart history thing, and she definitely fought that off. It just, it was the cancer that she couldn't quite fight off, um, but she got into racquetball and running, and uh, she was inducted into the Cleveland Clinic Nursing Hall of Fame in 2011. And she retired in two thousand and twelve. I think she retired just to just to try to do something else i 'm sure she would have um, gone into like home health care or something like that. But she retired uh, in two thousand and twelve she the day after her retirement party, she was diagnosed with lung cancer stage four and um, yeah. she had about 13 months of that. So, but she never blinked and she never complained. Actually, she didn't complain. About, I, I'd have a hard time remembering anything she complained about, but I remember when she was told the hospice she, they couldn't do any more. She said, I've had a wonderful life." and, uh, see, I, I always tell people she ta- taught, taught me how to live and she taught a lot of us how to die. So very strong and, uh, Compassionate and a, t- a tough human being—that's for sure. She raised two great children with me not being home as much as I would have liked to, and she was loved by many people. As, as, uh, and then we'll talk about the race. But that was the—that was her history, and uh, she she was a very strong, proud, and dedicated and competent human being, and uh, loved loved life, loved her family, and certainly loved me. Absolutely, absolutely. And I know, you know, unfortunately, she passed
1: on December 28th of 2013. Um, I was fortunate to know such an amazing woman. She was attentive. She was compassionate, as you said, and so patient. And what I remember is how she would sit with my mom, Lola, and just talk and talk and talk. But the lasting memory for me is the last time you guys came over to visit. Um, You guys, for you guys, you probably knew it was a farewell tour for us. You know, we just, I was like, wow, Miss Flaherty, Mrs. Flaherty stayed over for a while. So, yeah. yeah um, yep. I think you guys knew, like I said, but I didn't, my sisters and I didn't know at the time. Sure. And, then, you yeah. know,
2: i yeah. emotional. Sometimes so let, let
1: Yeah, yeah it, it was, you know, my mom wailed
2: at yeah. night. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I'll like never forget that. that. Yeah, she so, loved her. I know. I know she. I know she loved each oh, yes. other. They were they were two sisters, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. Yeah.
1: So, to continue her memory and her passion. Yep. As a nurse, you start the love a nurse run. So. Yep. All right. Here's where it's you know shameless plugs for the rest of the <laughs> way. So you have to tell people how they can contribute. So I'm okay. going to bang my friends and get them involved. But you have to tell everybody, you know. In memory of her, how you started this foundation, where you want to go with it, and how can they contribute to it?
2: Okay, I'll make it quick because I know I'm talking too much. No, no, take
1: your time. Take your time.
2: The main thing she uh, she she told our son Brian. She said, "Make sure the grandkids don't forget me." That's what she told him when she was in hospice. She was only in hospice for one day. So, Uh, so my my nephew, (laughs) the, uh, the the luncheon after the funeral said um, We're, we're going to honor Aunt Alice with a, a race. He said I don't know where it's going to be how we're going to do it But we're gonna have a race. So uh, we did we started doing some research on it. and then most people thought you needed at least nine months Well, we we've got it done in six which was good because we had a lot of help Nieces nephews friends, etc. But uh, we've done it. The races have been run for six years now we probably average about a thousand participants a year Um, And of of those thousand, like 400 to 500 of them are nurses, so it's basically a time to honor nurses. We've uh, we've given out in six years 314 scholarships, and we've raised over $300,000 in six years and uh the purpose of the race is obviously a memorial just to remember uh Alice and her accomplishments but uh the other thing the other thing is we uh, we we do at exercise things important i've had people tell me uh you know they really didn't exercise <laughs> until this race and now they're you know oh, they're doing wow. it every day and they're getting they're, they're trying to work out every day and try to get ready for the race and to try to improve the, you know their their own uh, physical situation uh, the other reason we do it is for families. I mean, uh, we we want to. It's very family oriented, as you know, and uh, we have a lot of kids at the we have a lot of kids at the race, and we have a lot of activities for the kids, and um, we want we're trying to get families involved. And there's I mean, there's a million dog walkers down there too at Edgewater Park, <laughs> which is right by Lake Erie, and of course um, we also want to honor the nurses. With, we have tried to give a little bit of something extra to the nurses that sign up there. Uh, we know 2020 is the year of the nurse. We had hoped on doing something a little bigger, but um, we, we aren't able to hold the race in person this year, so we're gonna, we're gonna have a, a virtual race. But that's the reason that we started in the first place, the, 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 mem- the memorial, of course, but also the exercise thing and the family thing and the honoring of nurses. And uh, the Cleveland Clinic has been a huge donor for us, in regard to the nursing institute, they have what's called the uh, Stanley Jalome Nursing. Uh, Stanley, I think it's Stanley Jalom Nursing Institute at the Cleveland Clinic, and they have been big backers for us. And um, they, they 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 do a great job of uh, publicizing the race and getting it out to everyone. And um, they, they we couldn't have. Done much without them. They're, they give, they do a lot for their own nurses. They give a lot of stuff out to the nurses at the race too. So the clinic has been uh, invaluable to us in regard to this race. Um, it's this year we have to do a, the uh, virtual race. Um, basically, that means you can you can run. In some way, it's a help. Like for you, you could, it helps you because you don't have to show up to the race and try, fly into <laughs> Cleveland and everything. But you can you can do it any time you want between uh, September 27th, which was supposed to be the day of the race, to October 4th. Uh, you can run any place that you want. You call and report your time if you're doing the 5K for time, and then we will send you the T-shirts. Uh, to all anybody that participates will get a T-shirt. So it's a virtual race this year rather than an in-person race. And if anybody wants to sign up for it, if you go to Hermes, H-E-R-M-E-S, HermesCleveland.com, and uh, you can just go to the road racing and they'll take you right to the website where you can, um, you know, sign up or do whatever you want. All the money goes to uh, students who live or go to school, nursing school in in Northeast Ohio. Um, There's a board of people that uh, five nurses, a teacher, and W, a daughter who's a nurse practitioner, read the scholarships and... All proceeds go to the scholarships. There's no no one gets paid. Everything's everything in the past six years has been uh, voluntary. You know, the food was free. The tents are set up free. The signs are free. So all the money goes to the scholarships. And also this year, um, one sponsor donated twenty five hundred dollars, and he said use the money for. Uh, the nurses because we appreciate what they did during this pandemic crisis So we still haven't quite figured. I think we're going to do gift cards on that one But anyway, how do, how do you donate? Um, there's a couple there's two ways if you want to donate you go to love and Anur- you can go to love and nurse run at gmail.com And then I will you know get on there and send you some information Love and at gmail.com and the other one if you want to do online donation, it's you go to www.hermescleveland.com www.hermescleveland.com backslash road racing uh, find the race on September 27th and there's a site in there where you can just click and do donations so um, that's that's basically w- w- you know how we raise the money and it's well, this year has been pretty good so far I mean we we can't run the race at Metro parks because it there's it's too much up in the air uh, with with the right. things so we're doing the virtual but um, I think the the sponsors have been good so far. We're not at 100% of what we were last year, but we're getting there. So, so far, so good. Okay. Awesome.
1: That that is awesome. And and, then I'm going to push this one more time so everyone that's listening can get out their checkbooks right now and donate. How can they contact, what was the website again? It was Hermes.
2: www.hermescleveland.com backslash road racing and then okay click click on the race uh, september 27th and it'll have a place for donations and you can just do your your uh, donations online from there
0: okay
1: and what was the email address one more time
2: love a nurse run at gmail.com
1: okay perfect and for all you
2: facebook users
1: Love a nurse run? Just look it up on Facebook. Search for it, and it will take you to a beautiful page of uh, Mrs. Alice Flaherty, and it'll show a past, a uh, nice picture of a group of nurses um, as the uh, Facebook page
2: uh, picture. Yep. So that sounds good. Can I do is... two other things, Chris? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Okay, uh, just uh, just a reminder. Well, I, I'd like to give a thank you. There's a uh, place around here called the Gathering Place. Um, they do pe- people who have uh, sp- a spouse, a friend, a relative that passed away from cancer. Um, they do they do a very good job of uh, talking, getting groups together, and you know just sharing the, the things that you go through. And uh, I just just a, maybe people are listening. It's but it's a lot easier to talk to someone. I mean, I uh, I, I I don't know if I I wouldn't have done very well without them. I went for about a year, and people going through the same things. It's very important to talk to someone, especially like today with this virus thing. I mean, people get <laughs> sometimes your head feels like it's going to explode, but if you <laughs> talk to, talk to somebody, you're better off. And uh, i would also like to give a thank you to. Um, who was in the same situation as I was at the gathering place? We talked and we've been talking for the last five years. Uh, She's a nurse, also a drug and alcohol nurse at the Cleveland Clinic, a uh, great family uh, who has helped me a lot. And uh, we've been working together on uh, our relationship. And we're going to be together for many years. We, there's a few details we have to work out, but uh, I appreciate Chris very much, a very kind, generous, and compassionate woman, and um, it helps to, uh, it's, it's, it really helps to have somebody like that that you can relate to, as you uh, well know. And of course, my two yes. kids, Brian, Brian and Debbie, have been very helpful. The, um, I can't, couldn't ask for better kids, and getting Probably they were great kids because they were raised by my wife most of the time. So you know, we still have a good we still have a good relationship. And of course the, the grandkids, Drew, Braden, Anna, and Jack. that's a lot of a lot of memories for uh, their grandma from them. And uh, I do appreciate people like yourself, the Williams' friends, family. They've been good to me, and uh, it's not easy, but. As they they told me, the the lady told me in the gathering place, there's a lot of pain in the world, Dan, and uh, you need people to help you get through it, and I, I believe I have a lot of them, so I appreciate it.
1: That's great advice, great advice. Now, did you
2: were you guys able to get, take your annual trip to Jersey this year? Well, that's a good question. Well, we signed up. We're supposed to go June 20th. It was 20, would have been 23 straight years. And we couldn't do it. I mean New Jersey was kind of a hot spot in June, people were getting nervous about going there and uh they still they, somebody's got a thousand dollars on my money so I'm, still, I'm still trying to get it back, but maybe i'll maybe I'll go there in October, I don't know, but now we, we weren't able to we weren't able to do the Jersey trip this year, so we'll, we'll hopefully we'll be back there next year okay.
1: Well, Coach Flaherty, thank you once again for coming on the Chris Williams Podcast Hour, and, you know, best of luck to you and the foundation. And I will post all that information uh, on my social media, and we'll push it out and make sure that people know where to go to make sure that they can donate and get get behind this love and nurse run. It's a, You know, it's a beautiful foundation for a beautiful person. So thank you again. Um, thank the Flaherty's for all you've done for us. Um, Again, this is the Chris Williams Podcast Hour, and we want to
0: thank everybody for joining us.
2: Thank you, Chris. Appreciate everything you've done for us, too. Take care. Thank you.
0: Well, there it is, folks. You've reached the end of another episode of the Chris Williams Podcast Hour. And what a great show it was. Coach Flaherty is special to me, and hopefully I did him justice. And his story comes through and moves you the same way he and his family have inspired me over the years. On a side note, to St. Edward High School and the St. Ed's Hall of Fame Committee. And as a current member of the Hall of Fame, I nominate Coach Dan Flaherty to be inducted into the Hall of Fame Class of 2021. Coach deserves to be a member of the Eagles Hall of Fame, and this prestigious honor is well overdue for him. Well, thank you all for listening. And, of course, we'd love for all listeners to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or Google Play and eventually connect with us on our website at thechriswilliamspodcast.com. But what we really, really need is for listeners to contribute to the Love a Nurse Run Foundation. Again, you can go to www.hermescleveland.com. Backslash events, backslash road racing, backslash love a nurse run. Or visit the love a nurse run Facebook page. And if you can't do either one of those or you forget, just Google love a nurse run. I can't tell you what or how to contribute to the love a nurse run foundation, but I can ask you from the bottom of my heart for everything I know. Please give what you can. And if you aren't in position to give, please, please share the information with someone who can. Sometimes a referral is just as good as a donation. Hey, I'm your host, Chris Williams, and that's all I got. That's this week's episode of the Chris Williams Podcast Hour. Thank you for joining us and be sure to join us next week for another episode of the Chris Williams Podcast Hour. Thank you for listening, and I'm out!